Hello, and welcome to episode 6 of the Rye Cooter Story, a podcast dedicated to the music, movies, and career of slide guitar master Rye Cooter. My name is Frank. I'm a video producer, podcaster, and lifelong Rye Cooter fan from Berlin, Germany. As usual, I'm bringing you this podcast with a little help from text-to-speech AI. Today we're talking about Rye Cooter's third solo album, Boom Restored. It was released in November 1972, less than a year after Into the Purple Valley. At the end of the episode, we'll also take a look at some of Cooter's session work in 1972 and 73. As I'm sure you know, these were very busy years for the in-demand man and his bottleneck guitar. So here we go. On his third album, as on his previous recordings, Cooter presents the result of a musical treasure hunt that is also a journey through time. Boomer's story looks to masters like Sleepy John Estes and Skip James, but also to younger, lost and neglected pieces of American folk and blues. But whether the sources are ancient or just a few years old, as always, Cooter creates something new and unique. About his method of finding suitable material, he told the new musical expressed in 1979. Songs like that aren't just everywhere in the world. They're under rocks is basically where they are. You have to have your ears open. I look everywhere. I buy records. I ask people, heard anything good? Or I wake up in the middle of the night with a song. That's when the good stuff comes, cause that's when your mind is free to work. It goes through that Rolodex up there and womp. There's one that you hadn't thought of before. Driving is a great way, too. I go on long driving trips, sometimes just so I can think of arrangements. The album was again produced by Jim Dickinson and Lenny Waronker, with many of Cooter's regular collaborators returning, including Jim Keltner on drums, George Bohannon on horns, Milt Holland on percussion, and Dickinson on piano. Recording took place in various studios in North Hollywood, Memphis, Nashville, and even with blues master Sleepy John Estes in Collierville, Tennessee. Cooter sings on only six of the ten tracks. The all-black cover features a black and white photo of Cooter taken by his wife, Susan Teitelman. He is standing in the desert, as he was two years earlier on his self-titled debut album, but this time he is beaming happily at the camera. He raises his left arm in the air and appears to be holding something, but we can't quite make it out because the hand is out of frame. Maybe it's a scarf or something. We can see a tiny piece of it in the upper left corner of the image. Maybe even a flag for us to rally around. The song The Railroad Boomer was written by Carson Robison. It was first recorded by Robison and Frank Luther in 1929. It was covered many times until the 1950s, including by the new Lost City Ramblers, a band that played an important role in the folk revival. Ry Cooter saw them live at the Ash Grove and even took some guitar lessons from their guitarist Tom Paley. 
He probably didn't know about Robison's original version when he covered the song as Boomer's Story on his album. In any case, it is credited as traditional on the cover. Of course, the song fits perfectly into this phase of Cooter's work. The Boomer, or Hobo, is another personification of the little man that Cooter talked about several times on his first two albums. Cooter is fascinated by this character. He romanticizes him, but at the same time laments his hard fate, a life of poverty and loneliness, as it was still part of the American myth in the era of the late 19th, early 20th century. In the days long before unions and diesel locomotives, boomers were railroad workers who moved from place to place and job to job, never really putting down roots. Men would work in one place, depending on their skill or specialty, as long as they felt comfortable. For many of them, the urge to hop on a train and ride it as far as it would take them was a form of wanderlust that was too powerful to resist. Rumors of growing prosperity would be attractive to such people, hence the nickname Boomer. Travel all over the country, I've traveled everywhere, been on every branch line railroad, never paid a nickel fare, been from Maine to California, Canada to Mexico. As Rolling Stone magazine wrote, Boomer's story is very band-like, especially when the vocal harmony enters. It contains Cooter's typically pungent, syncopated interplay of mandolin and electric slide guitar, as well as the bass and piano of Jim Dickinson and the drums of Jim Keltner. Fred Metting added, The lyrics tell the story of one who's traveled and will never want to settle down. The catalyst to this incessant roaming is the whistle of the train. Here the psalm reflects the promise of freedom, travel, and possibility that the train sounds must have inspired in many folks. What can be done for this boomer who has never loved long-term, who has never settled or saved? The answer is given in the song's concluding couplet, Just dig my grave beside the railroad, so I can hear the trains go by. Next is another kind of train song, although it is not too obvious. Cherry Ball Blues by Skip James, first recorded in 1931. It's about a man who has been abandoned by his partner, called Cherry Ball. He tries to find a way to win her back and promises to take different trains to find her. Now you take the southern I'm gonna take the southern I'm gonna Cooter turns James' haunting blues into one of three instrumentals on the album. The melody is almost unrecognizable, and without knowing the original lyrics, it is obviously impossible to make out the train reference. The song now has a rock feel, with a powerful interplay of acoustic and electric slide guitar. Song number three, 
Crow Black Chicken has another rather complicated origin story. Sometimes referred to as Chicken Pie or I Love Chicken Pie, it's a traditional fiddle tune that was first recorded by the Leake County Revelers in 1928. In 1962, the new Lost City Ramblers reworked the tune, acknowledging the Leake County Ramblers as their source for the song. Again, it is possible that Cooter adapted their version, changing the arrangement from a fiddle tune to a kind of southern rock song. On the album, Crow Black Chicken is credited to Lawrence Wilson. Cooter sings in a particularly deep voice, leaving no doubt that this is pure comedy. True, we are back in the world of the farmer whose taxes feed us all. And yes, there's probably a certain percentage of tragedy in the loss of the poultry. But in the end, it's pure nonsense about the taste of chicken pie. The hardest work that ever I done was plowing a field of rye. The easiest work that ever I done was eating chicken pie. Chicken crow for midnight and a chicken crow for day. Long coming all of hell mercy stole my chicken away. Now, if you've listened to our bonus episode on Taj Mahal, you'll remember the opening track called Leaving Trunk, originally written by Sleepy John Estes. Estes recorded his version in Memphis in 1930. It was then called Milk Cow Blues, but was also released as Sloppy Drunk Blues. Cooter retitled the song Act Sweet Mama, perhaps because the lyrics never refer to milk cows. While Mahal adds a meta layer about the blues, Cooter sticks to Estes' story of a man who got involved with a married woman with a dangerous husband. In the end, though, he's smart enough to pack up and run back to Memphis. Cooter's blues mandolin begins the song. He is soon joined by Jim Dickinson's piano and George Bohannon's muted trombone. Yours is my heart, O sunshine of my love, woman of my illusion, my love I consecrated to you. This is the translation of the original Spanish lyrics of Maria Elena, a true tearjerker of a love song. Composer Lorenzo Barcelotta wrote it in the early 30s, and it is said that the hymnic declaration of love was addressed to the then First Lady of Mexico, Dona Maria Elena Portela, wife of President Pontus Gil. 
The music was first heard in the U.S. in 1935 as background music for the film Border Town, a year before it appeared in the Mexican movie Maria Alina. In 1941, it was translated into English and recorded by Lawrence Welk's orchestra. Hundreds of other adaptations have followed, including those by Jimmy Dorsey and Nat King Cole. Cooter's version is another instrumental. It begins with a soft, very emotional guitar foreplay. Then Jim Dickinson's piano enters, followed by a wonderful string arrangement. In its review of Boomer's story, Rolling Stone magazine wrote, On Maria Elena, Rye casts his gaze southward, but Maria Elena is other than a bit of Hispanic scholarship. For one thing, Rye plays a metal string guitar, but with its dulcet violence, it continues the Hollywood motif of Into the Purple Valley. You can almost see Rita Hayworth sipping sombreros amid the potted palms. Side 2 begins with a song that would become a cooter classic. It's another instrumental, an adaptation of Chip's Moman and Dan Penn's The Dark End of the Street. Moman was a session guitarist from Memphis, Penn a songwriter and producer who was once called the secret hero of soul. He's also featured as a backing vocalist on Boomer's Story. The duo is responsible for countless soul classics. They wrote Dark End of the Street, their first collaboration during a country convention at the hotel. On its first release in 1966, the song was sung by James Carr. At the dark end of the street That's where we always meet Hiding in shadows where we don't belong Living in darkness to hide Carr's sad tale of illicit love became a huge hit. It was immediately covered by Roy Hamilton and Percy Sledge. By 1970, it was also covered by the Flying Burrito Brothers, Lee Hazelwood and Aretha Franklin, among others. For his own adaptation, Cooter said of his instrumental arrangement, I started the song with my Martin D45. It's a good bottleneck guitar. Heavy, ponderous, clumsy. I had to start the tune with it, then put it down and pick up the electric. Before the take I said, you guys don't mind me. I'm going to switch guitars. Not something you like to do very often. Brett Hartenbach of AllMusic.com wrote, Here, Cooter realizes that the only thing in his arsenal that can do justice to James Carr's definitive version is his own remorseful slide guitar. Without uttering a single lyric, he's able to convey the shame and deep regret of the Dan Penn Chips Moman classic. 
But the story of the dark end of the street doesn't end there, of course. When Cooter toured with his Chicken Skin review a few years later, he left the singing to his backing vocal trio of Bobby King, Eldridge King, and Terry Evans. There are several other great versions, which we'll return to in future episodes of the podcast. We'll rally round flag, boys, we'll rally once again. Shouting the battle cry of freedom. We will rally from the hillside, we'll gather from the plain. Shouting the battle cry of freedom. Now back to the Old West. The Battle Cry of Freedom, also known as Rally Round the Flag, is a song written in 1862 by American composer George Frederick Root during the American Civil War. It's a patriotic song advocating the causes of unionism and abolitionism, and according to eyewitness accounts, had a tremendous motivational effect on Union soldiers. It became so popular that it was even adapted for the Confederacy. The version you just heard is a restored 1907 recording, sung by Harlan and Stanley. There are countless other versions with different instruments and arrangements, but they all have one thing in common, an unbroken patriotism combined with pathos and an unconditional certainty of victory. Enter Ry Cooter. None of this is present in his version. He turns the bellicose anthem into a slow, tired, mournful song. There is no jubilation, no bloodlust. Instead you get, as Brett Hardenbach puts it, a lot of dark irony. And yes, that's Randy Newman on piano. And we'll prove a loyal crew To the land we love the best Shouting the battle cry of freedom With coming in on a wing and a prayer, Cooter makes the leap from the American Civil War to World War II. The song tells the story of an Allied bomber mission that was hit over enemy territory. When they finally make radio contact, the pilot informs the ground crew that the mission was a success, but that the plane has lost an engine. The crew is nonetheless unharmed and in good spirits, as the plane limps home on a wing and a prayer. According to Wikipedia, Several incidents have been cited as the inspiration for the song. It is sometimes said to be based on the events of February 26, 1943, when a B-17 named Southern Comfort was badly damaged by anti-aircraft fire during a bombing mission over mainland Europe. The plane made it home safely. The song was also associated with the similar survival against all odds, despite extensive damage, of another B-17, Thunderbird, on a mission over Tripoli in January 1943. Less than six months later, a group called the Song Spinners reached number one on the Billboard pop charts with Coming In on a Wing and a Prayer, with lyrics by Harold Adamson and music by Jimmy McHugh. Ooh, 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 ooh. Coming in on a wing and a prayer. Coming in. But again, it probably wasn't the original version that inspired Cooter. Instead, it was Joseph Spence's interpretation of the song. Because Spence had spent some time in the U.S. during the war, 
He later used the tune as a showcase for his guitar talents. It's amazing how he turned the song into a guitar masterpiece, replacing most of the lyrics with his inimitable moaning. With Cooter, you can hear Spence's influence right away. He plays almost like Spence, but with him the sounds are clearer, more elaborately produced. He is later joined by Dickinson on piano and by George Bohannon on horn. And one almost gets the impression that Bohannon's tones are meant to imitate Spence's murmur. Without one more to go, we can still carry on. The second Sleepy John Estes song on Boomer's story is not only an adaptation, but a true collaboration. When Estes was rediscovered by blues historians Bob Coaster and Samuel Charters in 1962, he was completely blind and living in poverty. Thanks to the folk revival, he then resumed touring and recording with his old partners Hammy Nixon and Yank Gratchell. While in London in October 1964, he recorded an early version of President Kennedy called I'm Going Home. In the song, he reflects on the death of John F. Kennedy and also on his newfound fame. He considers JFK to be the best president we ever had, who had championed the cause of civil rights. Reportedly homesick, Estes sang the chorus, I'm going home, going back home, I stayed away too long. In 1969, he recorded a reworked version during the Memphis Blues Festival. Jim Dickinson lived not far from Estes in Tennessee. He arranged a meeting for Cooter. In 2014, Cooter told the record collector about it. Sleepy John was old by the time I got to see him. And he was pretty weird anyway. A spacey kind of guy. This was a guy who'd hoboed on trains as a blind man in the South. With his guitar. Can you even imagine that? It's inconceivable what some people go through. By the 60s he'd been to Europe where folk music was popular, but he still went back to his shack in Tennessee with no glass in the window panes and where the plowed earth came right up to the house. A little dirt road led up to it, which I drove to in a rented car, hoping I wouldn't break an axle. And when I got there, I'd give him 200 or $300, whatever I had. He put it in his shirt pocket, then across the field would come this bunch of people. They'd seen the car, so they knew it meant money. I'd say, try to hang on to that, John. And he'd go, oh yeah, sure. He was a very nice guy, but he was remote from me. For someone from South Santa Monica, driving down there was like going to another planet. Cooter's version, sung exclusively by Estes, is concise and well-recorded without losing the spontaneity of Estes' earlier versions. The song now focuses entirely on President Kennedy and the aftermath of his loss. His voice still strong at age 73. Estes uses his wailing style to great effect while accompanied by Cooter on mandolin and Dickinson on piano. Take 
The album ends as it began with the train song. Homer's story is told, and now he can't wait to get on the next train. The woman he loved left him for another man, and once again the little man is left empty-handed, a sad, melancholy figure with whom we sympathize all the more. Good morning, Mr. Railroad Man, a traditional, begins with Dickinson's blues piano, soon joined by Gene Finney's harmonica, as well as Cooter's blues guitar and Charles Lawing's clarinet. Good morning, Mr. Railroad Man. What time do you train? In November 1972, the usual procedure was repeated. Homer's story received rave reviews but didn't make it to the top of the charts. Unfortunately, it didn't make it to the bottom either. Looking back, Fred Metting wrote, Booner's story is an excellent example of Cooter early in his career working with traditional material and with a selected group of compatible musicians and giving new life to the old songs. Here, the musical resurrection comes not through a mix of musics, but rather through inspired ensemble play. Ben Gerson wrote the following almost prophetic lines in Rolling Stone. Homer's story hasn't the diversity or activity of the first album, but it has the authority of the second and a bit more adventure. Ride's cracked voice is more studied than before. He's turned his liabilities into assets, but the overall tone is casual, homemade, right down to the stark, monochromatic cover. Plainly laid out are the rewards of Rye's siftings through the archives of American folk music. That's Boomer's or Cooter's story. I wouldn't be surprised if this and the other two he has given us so far mean the same to collectors 30 years from now as the records of Rye's antique heroes do to him today. Before we wrap up by talking about Cooter's sessions, let me just say that the next episode will not only focus on Cooter's next album, Paradise and Lunch, we'll also take a look at live performances, because as we all know, there are a lot of interesting unofficial recordings from that period that we don't want to leave unmentioned here. We already covered the subject of touring in our bonus episode on Arlo Guthrie. Important companions like Guthrie, Taj Mahal, and soon Randy Newman are covered in bonus episodes for our Patreon subscribers, as you know. Other candidates in the coming months include Flacco Jimenez and John Hyatt. If you don't want to miss them, you can sign up at Patreon slash The Cooter Story. We appreciate any support, even if it's just one meatball for a dollar or euro per month. Thank you so much. But now to some of the many Cooter sessions from 1972 to 73. During these years, Cooter was still a frequent guest in the studio. That's why we can't cover everything here. But we definitely want to listen in on some outstanding examples. Last time we heard some male singer-songwriters. Here are some female artists. Let's start with Maria Moldor. She was one of the stalwarts of the 60s folk revival. We've met her before when we talked about the production of the performance soundtrack, which she also contributed to. In 1973, Moldor scored a hit for Warner Brothers with her self-titled debut. Rye Cooter is featured on the album's first track, Any Old Time. Any old time, you wanna come back home. 
Next up is Brenda Patterson, a blues singer from Memphis. She later sang background vocals on some of Cooter's soundtrack albums. There were rumors that Cooter played on several of her records, but in fact he was only involved on 1973's Brenda Patterson. He plays on four tracks, including Dance With Me Henry. Less noticeable is Cooter's electric guitar on the next song. Nevertheless, it is an important song, an old traditional called Jesus on the main line that should be familiar to any Cooter fan. Cooter certainly knew the earlier recording by blues great Mississippi Fred McDowell, but perhaps it was Brenda Patterson who gave him the idea to cover the song a year later on his next album. Jesus on the main line, tell him what Soul singer Claudia Lanier was a background singer for Ike and Tina Turner, Leon Russell, Joe Cocker, and Freddie King. She released her first and only solo album, Few, in 1973. Cooter plays electric guitar and electric bottleneck guitar on three songs, one of which is called Sing With The Children. In 1973, Clarence White worked on his first solo album. Before that, he had played on every Birds album since 1967 and appeared on such landmark albums as Arlo Guthrie's Last of the Brooklyn Cowboys, The Everly Brothers Stories We Could Tell, Randy Newman's Twelve Songs, and Linda Ronstadt's Hand Sound Homegrown. Most of them were Warner Brothers productions where Ry Cooter was also involved. By June, he had completed six songs, four of which later appeared on the country rock anthology Silver Meteor, including Mickey Newbery's Why You Been Gone So Long with Ry Cooter on slide guitar. Then, on July 14, just as his career was really taking off, Clarence White had a fatal encounter with a drunk driver and died in a car accident. Tell me, baby, now why you been gone so long? Don and Phil Everly, better known as the Everly Brothers, were on the verge of splitting up when they recorded their 1972 album stories we could tell. A few years earlier, Cooter had sat in on the recordings of their country rock album Roots, 
and in 1971, he had played on Don Everly's eponymous solo album. For Cooter, the Everlys were really interesting and fun to mess around with. On Stories We Could Tell, another great country rock effort, he played on two songs. The first is Del Rio Dan. Green River is even more melodic, a true country rock anthem. Norman Greenbaum was an East Coast kid and a fan of folk music and Southern blues. He had his only hit in 1969 with Spirit in the Sky. Three years later, he released his third and final studio album. It was called Petaluma and featured no less than four Cooter contributions. This is the day the well went dry. I was caught with soap in my eye Soap in my eye made me cry The day the well went dry No more water down in the well Who do we know? Who can we tell? Whoever we tell will say oh my Finally, an album that was probably near and dear to Cooter's heart. The second annual farewell reunion by Mike Seeger. Seeger came from a real folk family. His parents worked for John and Alan Lomax, his half-brother Pete was a folk star, and his sister Peggy was at home in the realm of traditional music. No wonder Mike became a mixture of versatile, folky, and curious musicologist. At 25, he formed the new Lost City Ramblers with Tom Paley and John Cohen, and went on to produce documentaries and collect recordings. The second annual farewell reunion falls into this category. The album is part of a series in which Seeger traced the styles and traditions of American folk music with various musicians. Ry Cooter, always a big fan of the new Lost City Ramblers, plays acoustic bottleneck guitar on a song called The Train That Carried My Girl From Town. And that brings us to the end of episode 6 of The Rye Cooter Story. Thanks for listening. As mentioned above, next time we'll be looking at some of Cooter's live performances from the early to mid-70s. And of course, we have another great solo album coming up, 1974's Paradise and Lunch. 
Meanwhile, you'll find us on social media or you can visit our website. As usual, you'll find the links in the show notes. If you want to support the podcast, then please head on over to Patreon slash The Rye Cooter Story and become a member. Membership comes with all sorts of benefits, including bonus episodes on Cooter's important guest or session albums. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. <laughs>